today we have a special guest and we don't always have special guests. Usually it's just me talking noise, but we do have special guests. So today we have Chief Creative Officer Tomo Moriwaki coming in from Hyperkinetic Studios, from Electronic Arts, from Treyarch slash Activision. Uh, we've got a great developer here today. We're going to be putting down some good knowledge on creativity, um, little industry stories, storytelling, art and the video game industry, and creativity in general during these crazy times. And Tomo is a great person to discuss all this stuff with. He's also got a game coming out relatively soon, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that as well. And these are, these are the little discussions that we want to do just to kind of keep the creative juices flowing. And as you remember from last week, I did, uh, two weeks ago, I did 11 of these interviews in a row just to get the thing started. It went great. Uh, we can go look those up on YouTube now. I have all those videos posted, but I'm going to start going into a weekly, maybe once in a little more than weekly but at least a weekly routine of getting in here and having great discussions with some great developers, great creative minds. Um, and as usual, when I say creative, I don't just mean people who pick up a paintbrush or people who do whatever, uh, in their lives, everybody's a creative in some form or fashion. So, all right, well, uh, as I said, we've got Tomo here today. Um, Go ahead and get him on, bring him in. Uh, this is going to be an informal discussion, but we want to get to some really good ideas. Remember, if you have any questions, comments, or anything, go ahead and put them down in the live and we'll get to them. SG Gold. Hey, folks, how are you doing? Boom. Let's get this going. As we are here for Mr. Binge's ADV experience, art design and development, and we're going to make it happen. Hello, hello. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right. Here's my, I've got a my first time. Sorry. No, I've got a black screen going off. You just wanted you to know. Oh, let's see. Okay, there we go. Fabulous. <laughs> awesome. How are you doing today? Good, good. This is a uh, first time using uh, Instagram Live. It, it was fairly straightforward and easy enough to use. Yeah, uh, I'm actually, I was actually impressed with how Instagram was doing their connectivity here. Um, I was, I tried other platforms. I was doing Facebook live for a while, uh, and I still do sometimes. There's just been a lot of ups and downs and weirdness with some of the other platforms. And surprisingly, Instagram was straightforward and simple enough. So they've been pushing it. I started trying it. People connected with it. Here we are. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Uh, awesome. So really quickly, uh, give us a brief overview of who you are. So uh, my name is Tomo Moriwaki, um, and I've been making video games for somewhere between 23 and 25 years. Um, got my start at a very small company, at least back then, called Treyarch, uh, way before their kind of um, Call of Duty fame. And um, uh, through them... Kind of my claim to fame back in the early 2000s was working on a uh, Spider-Man 2 for Xbox and PS2. Um, and that taught me all the things I needed to know. Well, many of the things I needed to know to kind of make my way to my current place in, the, uh, in my career, which um, started a small company called Hyperkinetic Studios, 
and we do all kinds of software development and interactive consulting type stuff for whoever uh, is interested, as well as working on a, a, a game that's uh, available on Steam presently called Epic Tavern, where you um, run a fantasy bar and uh, the people you get to know uh, through your uh, serving them drinks and food, um, maybe make their way to being the great heroes of this uh, fantasy world. Yeah, just um, that's awesome. I just looked up uh, Effort Tavern and went through some of the uh, some playthroughs I saw people doing. It seems to be an interesting take on storytelling and the whole RPG gamer situation. So definitely want to get into that in your uh, perspectives. But yesterday we were talking a lot about Spider-Man and you've been, uh, you, you, you started out kind of, well, not started out, but early on you were working with Spider-Man. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, that was a, a really, I mean, it was a really important experience, especially Spider-Man 2 is really important in my career in like a million different ways, but uh, sort of kind of the first taste of being involved in this kind of bigger world of entertainment industry uh, was illuminating and a little intimidating. Yeah. Um, you said, uh, you said it was illuminating and intimidating. I wanted to jump in on that and I'm glad you brought it up because it seemed, I went through your Moby Games credits here, and it seemed relatively early on, you got to jump on the lead designer role at Treyarch and, um, and also a creative director role shortly after that. So how did you, yep. before well, you know, getting into that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to get there, but you know, right before that, how did you even get into games? So back then it was a lot different than it is now. Uh, you know, where I'm, I, I started off in 97 and, uh, oh, I can do the math. So we're <laughs> talking 24 years, 24 years. Um, 97 was a period of time where video games were growing in popularity, but there wasn't a ton of people trying to get in the same way as it is these days. And so I honestly, uh, a friend of a friend, uh, who went to UCLA and I'm socializing with some of these friends of friends and turns out that they're going to be the founders of Treyarch. And they're working on a little game called Die by the Sword. And we hit it off and I had played way too many games before. And that was partly why I did bad in school. Um, and uh, cruised on by and checked out their game. And before you know it, uh, I was starting to kind of just come by once a week um, to kind of discuss uh, melee combat and video game controls. And then they asked me if I wanted to work over the summer. And um, I stopped going to school that year. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Um, because I know that it's school at that time, uh, was, it was just starting to get questioned. I know at least in my circles, you know, people were questioning, Hey, how is this school thing really going to play out for us? Um, because I think we were just ending that generation of where, you know, Hey, the mantra is go to school, get a good job and you know, everything will be great that was just kind of starting to get challenged um, by everybody, I guess, in a lot of ways. And you definitely caught on that wave at that time. Um, so was it an easy choice just to say, you know what, screw school? Or was it like, a, I don't know, how was that for you? Well, it was interesting. I feel like um, back then, I just kind of had no idea. Uh, and I didn't think about it much. You know, it's like kind of like to, and like, when I think back on those times, you know, there's this, uh, blindness to certain kind of expectations about me 
uh, who am I, where do I come from? What am I supposed to do? I just didn't notice. And I feel like it's like my best example of the, the shape of privilege in my life that I was able to kind of just stumble my way forward and do kind of whatever made sense to me that was right in front of my nose without having any reasoned outside perspective. I just, I went to school. I was an art major. I enjoyed that until something came up that I could do. And then I just did it. And I had the life flexibility and the kind of, you know, back then I think getting into video games kind of had a certain sort of stigma to it. And it was largely unknown. Yeah. And I, you know, I knew I liked video games and I didn't know a ton of people that liked video games at the time. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'm a hundred percent in let's, let's do this. I had no idea what I was even saying yes to. And then next thing you know, five years go by and I'm creative director on this Spider-Man project. Um, okay. Maybe it was more like seven years go by. Um, and, um, you know, I, there's a team of like 120 people and, you know, we get to visit Sam Raimi and learn all this stuff about Marvel and Sony Columbia. And, it, and again, even though, even in those moments, I wasn't necessarily paying enough attention to what that meant or what the ramifications were. We just were a pack of kids doing what we thought was cool. Going at it. Definitely with, um, are you from California? Yeah. Yeah. I've been in Los Angeles my whole life. Okay. Okay, cool. Cause I, I, uh, and you came in from the art side. I happened to come in from the engineering side and I remember going to, um, going to my career development center. I actually worked with the career development center pretty closely and I kind of outed myself as being interested in games at one point where, uh, I was, I, I was talking to some people and they were like, well, yeah, you say, you know, build a resume and, and you know, build a small website to show off what you've been doing. Can you show us yours? And I'm telling these other kids, you know, Hey, sign up for Motorola, uh, Lockheed Martin's looking for engineers, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, Oh, let me pull it up. And as I'm pulling it up, I kind of realized, Oh crap. My website is full of like samurai showdown imagery. And, <laughs> you know, I've got like all these animated gifs of, you know, a Tom, Tom, like cutting heads off and stuff like that. Those guys. Um, so it was kind of, people were looking at me like, this is a professional website. And I'm like, ah, I'm kind of thinking about games. And that started messing with my scholarship and everything. It was, it was tough back then. They didn't want to hear it. Um, they wanted um, me to go to my Lola. I bet. My favorite was uh, Wan Fu, by the way, at least in Spider-Man and Samurai Showdown 1. Ah, yeah, yeah. To yeah, really good stuff. But I, I remember that time of just where games weren't totally taken seriously. Um, and, but, you know, you're doing the art thing. I, I assume that was a little bit easier for people to take that, you know, maybe because you were going into sculpting, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any sculptures around me other than these, these tank models. Awesome. All right. So you're in a, so you're a Treyarch doing your thing. Um, did the art ever leave you or did you always, cause I mean, that's a very creative thing. Uh, or did you. Do you, did you do it like, uh, as a hobby? Did you stick with it or how did that creativity run into your daily job as a designer? Well, it's interesting. You know, at first I was a 3d artist. In fact, they were, they were super cool and they were nice enough to kind of train me up on back then light wave 3d. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, 
I just learned the, like kind of the technical ropes of how to create art assets. And, um, you know, it seemed to make sense. I was an art major. And so doing the art on the projects was working out just fine. But I mean, I had a, you know, I had like, let's say far too many years of school. I had, I think I'd gone to eight and a half years of art school. Um, but I had way more than eight and a half years of gameplay experience and just kind of like, you know, sort of addiction to systems and controls, um, and the nature of overcoming difficulty and what a tutorial should be and how sick and tired we are of them, even though back then they had way fewer of them. Yeah. Yeah. How it, it, played, it, it played a strong role though, because, uh, the basics of art, uh, are the same basics for any art form, right? Uh, like the idea of composition is meaningful regardless of what you do. Honestly, the idea of composition is probably meaningful if all you're doing is freaking research for biotech even, I bet. But um, those the, that approach and especially kind of art criticism and to a minor extent, at least at that time, art history, those all played an important role in my understanding and making sense of um, kind of creating uh, an experience as entertainment for others. I wouldn't have said it that way back then though. <laughs> it, yeah. No, it's, um, it's always just interesting to see how different people, uh, you know, take what they know before games and integrated them into games. I think now we have more of a, uh, a set path, you know, like, Hey, here's your engineering route. Here's your art route. You go into level design or character design or concept art, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, um, both of us can understand uh, the vibe of just falling into it and maneuvering our way into something. So the way you see it now, um, with, with people getting into games and game development, how is, uh, how has it changed maybe for the better or for the worse? Uh, you see people coming in, um, well, I think it's, uh, vastly more difficult first of all, right. And that's largely a side effect from, uh, even though the supply for positions is quite high, I think the demand is thousands upon thousands of percent greater than it was back when I was starting. Hmm. I think so too. Uh, one thing that I've noticed that is, I, I don't know what, it, what this is a function of, but I was talking to a developer and they said they sent in their resume and they didn't hear back and they just gave up. And I was thinking, wait, what? That's all you did? You sent in a resume and you kind of stopped right there? Um, I, I didn't know the meaning of that. I, I was, I, I remember spending time, you know, calling the receptionist, uh, finding the email addresses of the different people that worked at a studio and different things like that. Um, and yeah, getting to know people and friends of friends and bouncing in. So it's a, it's a whole different climate right now. It's really, um, really bizarre, but I am glad to see that it's, it's grown and expanded in the ways that it has. Yeah. Well, you know, but what you, what you're saying there, I think is a really important thing for newcomers to the industry to understand that a resume and honestly, just, I think in the everyday life, following the conventional path that you assume is how something is done. It's a dangerous step. If you don't really study it, um, you know, a way later in my career, probably more seriously for like the last 15 or so years or 12 or so years, um, uh, networking is kind of the only way. Yeah, sure. You can get lucky. And if you're the type of like software engineer that like 
Facebook is going to try to entertain for a position. It's like, yeah, it'll be easy to get a job. Um, but it's still better to get to know people in the industry. And by, by networking, by the way, I mean, befriend, because there's really no difference, right? It's like kind of a weird, the way I see it is that you're choosing an industry to spend at least a huge chunk of your life in. And so it's natural that you'll get to know and start building a community around that interest. And, you know, you can only find what you can find. If you have hundreds of people that you know, all those opportunities become accessible. Um, don't be just the most attractive, shiny in a bucket for someone else to grab out of the bag and take for themselves. Like, take some control over it and learn the space. And I had no idea how important that was until I started to care about it. Yeah. Um, so how do you, how does one go about networking now? Um, sure. I feel like it's easier than ever before. I mean, they're all, especially through just like all these discord channels where you can like kind of socialize with people who have similar interests. Like, do you know one person that likes the same thing to do as you find them? The internet is a great vehicle for that. You know, the internet might come with all kinds of sort of potentially cataclysmic uh, possibilities. But one of the good things is meeting people and interacting with people um, and making yourself available to be met by others is so much easier than ever before. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to like, you know, drive someplace to meet someone who makes video games. Yeah, I could send out a message to 50 people like on LinkedIn and I get those messages occasionally. And I try, I'm, I'm pretty committed to engaging in a conversation sorts because for every person that engaged in a conversation with me, it was a potential opportunity that may have turned into like a, a serious project for my company in the last five years. Oh, no, totally. And speaking of uh, engaging with people, I want to take a quick moment out to thank everybody who's stopping by. Uh, Toy Bronson, SJ Gold, uh, The Real Pan, Local Locorados, Larb, Poetic S, Buzzy, and Patrick Hickey Jr., Chiming in. Without social media, I would have never met the two of you. Exactly. This is how it goes. Nice. Totally. Totally. Hope your comic book is going well. We'll have to cross notes sometime, Patrick, about <laughs> comic book uh, releases because we have one coming out in uh, October. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, speaking, of, speaking of meeting, E3 used to be the big thing. And that's part of the reason I started doing these online chats. I... I got into the habit of meeting everybody and seeing people during these, um, during these cons and events. And at some point I started having meetups at hotel rooms, uh, we hang out at bars and I would just gather people together, um, you know, text messaging, tweeting or whatever, saying, Hey, we're all over here at Starbucks or we're all over here at this bar or whatever. And over time I started to meet people, uh, like yourself, I ran into you and Tony Barnes at. I still can't remember which, what event exactly it was. I think it was probably close to the uh, LA Live area. And, uh, and, and I noticed you had uh, recently interviewed uh, Jeff Junio. You, it, both of you were there when we first met. And I was just walking around with Tony grumbling about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every, trust me, every E3 uh, Comic-Con, I get no sleep and don't remember a lot of it. So it's all flashbacks and pieces, but... Um, definitely good memories. Um, that's my favorite shit ever. Seriously, it's crazy how good that stuff is to meet people with similar interests and do, you know, kind of like charting their path uh, in like expressing the things they need to say to the world. Yeah. 
what's a, uh, what's a meetup hack or, or, you know, just some way that somebody's met somebody or gotten in the industry that was really interesting that you could think of? Um, you know, it's a tricky question, but I think that my kind of philosophy or not even philosophy, like my take on networking is that over the, like, we get caught up in what to do, like it's some singular thing. And then what you usually, then what you get instructed to do is the thing that's at the end of the path. And I think networking, if you think of it more like a, like a core loop, and I know you understand that because your game design experience, um, it's get into a situation where you can try to convince others of your value to be known rather than looking at the people around you to assess who should be known. And if you keep practicing that loop, what ends up happening is you, first of all, you practice and you get better at delivering value to those around you, but then people start to notice and they, that that's the thing that'll, um, build that, that, that no network connection stronger than you kind of just trying to climb up, um, that pathway to go, Hey, you, you should have this connection with me rather, um, do it through example. And then, uh, over the long haul, it seems inevitable, uh, that, that more and more people will start looking to you for help and also, uh, seeing you as an ally or a, um, a beneficial add on to something that they're in the middle of. And, um, I wish I had figured that out earlier because now, you know, 15 years later, it seems like, uh, it's just a nice thing to say. Yeah. So were you uh, always a social person or is this something you practiced? Super no. Um, one thing that helped a lot was that my wife is super social and okay. I think that that kind of opened my eyes to how valuable it is to put energy into the system instead of just, um, you know, maybe my preferred personal style, at least from the past was, would be to observe, 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 analyze, 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 systematize, systematize. Um, but yeah, over the course of time, I realized that, uh, you, well, I don't have the luxury not to be sending information out, not to be committing energy into the system to try to kind of make things move. And, um, even if I did, uh, I don't think that'd be the right idea. No, definitely not. Uh, I think it's really, really, really important right now. Um, and I don't know who else agrees with this, who else doesn't, but I have been under the impression that we've moved on or are moving on from the information age into the attention age, where it's more about marketing, uh, connecting and making sure that your message isn't lost. So I've embraced it in a lot of different ways and it's uncomfortable for me, but I've used my enthusiasm for things to pull me across that gap, if that makes any sense. A lot. You know, I think that, uh, I think the opposite of that is kind of a, a, a negative influence that society has on us, or it tries to convince us that if what we have to offer or the way we have to offer it is somehow inappropriate, that we shouldn't. And, um, best I can tell that is exactly the opposite of truth <laughs> that, that, uh, it all are like, this is something I say to my kids, actually. Uh, if you're feeling hesitation, that's just the universe's random way of choosing who's going to be in charge and who's not going to be in charge. See, yeah. You can't, you can't tolerate your own hesitation. Uh, Nike stole the best marketing slogan of all time. 
Who they steal it from? I mean, I mean, you know, they stole it from from the ether, whatever. Oh, okay. Just do it is just too too powerful a statement. Yeah. Okay. No, I thought you were saying there's some random shoe company in like Peru or something. Uh, but okay. I thought we I thought we had a conspiracy theory going on here uh, that we could oh. unearth. Uh, but uh, that means uh, Shield Booth stole it from uh, Nike. Ah, uh, yes, that's very true. Very true. <laughs> um, so, so now you we were talking about E3 and the big industry, um, and you moved on to uh, this group called Hyperkinetic Studios. So, one thing a lot of people always ask me about is um, I'm I'm no longer affiliated with like big studios or anything, so you'll have to fill me in on what's happening with the game industry right now. But you moved on from you know, the big companies, Electronic Arts, Activision, uh, Treyarch Activision, and now you're doing what we call an indie studio with Hyperkinetic Studios. Why? Uh, you know, I think that there is actually kind of a sort of a typical mentality in people loosing in my demographic that have been in the game industry, especially kind of the North American console industry for a long time, that we get this... Um, fantasy about starting your own thing and escaping the burden of our boss's needs and becoming one of them ourselves. Um, and I just happened to have a few friends that felt the same way. And so, uh, the, we went ahead and started that studio and it's hilarious because my favorite thing to say is that I feel like I'm wholly unsuited to entrepreneurism. Um, but, uh, I theoretically, maybe everyone is, and, uh, you just got to jump in there and figure it out. Um, it's the biggest reason strange. I think the biggest reason was that we wanted to create a work environment that matched our philosophical ideals, that we wanted to create a place where people could work and be social together and get to know each other in a strictly positive way. And when you say that at the beginning, um, and you know, anybody maybe who's been been around the block a few times, probably hears some pretty serious naivety there. Um, but I feel like we did okay. And um, it's been a really good learning experience in terms of how to create good creative results by maintaining kind of people's positive, emotional, and kind of mental states. Um, and, and that it also means that we need to be friends and we need to take care of each other for real. Um, and that sounds super floofy and sort of, um, kind of idealistic, but the, but you know, art, art is fundamentally idealistic, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree there. Um, now what I'm wondering about, you said, uh, I know there's this definite mental stress that goes along with much of the video game industry. Um, people hear about crunch mode, people hear about um, you know, deadlines and just getting burnt out and then leaving for whatever. So I totally vibe with you on, on that aspect of things. Now, uh, how long have you been with Hyperkinetic? Uh, the studio has been alive for about eight years. Okay. Oh, so you, oh, you were there at the founder. Oh, I am, I am one of the co-founders. Yes. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure about that. Cool. Uh, so been doing that about eight years. You guys have run through, um, uh, did a couple VR projects. Yeah. I mean, we've done all kinds of weird stuff and it's been really interesting. We've learned a lot through that process. Okay. So why, um, 
the different types of projects because uh, you did VR and then I saw Sonic Mania, which is kind of like an old school throwback um, update. Um, and you've got this, I don't, I, we'll get to Epic Tavern in a second, but an RPG-ish kind of game. Um, why the different bounds? Um, are you guys just doing what you want or what's the vibe behind the different games? Oh, I mean, I, it's mostly just survival. You know, uh, our, and it, you know, it's interesting, sort of this idea about creating the right kind of social environment to get great results. Um, that is true also of our clients and also our friend network through which the vast majority of our projects were acquired. Um, we wouldn't exist without the network of friends that we had built before we started the company. Um, it's, and so, and then in a lot of cases, kind of what our friends need. I mean, it's not like every client was a friend necessarily, but, uh, you can make the generalization that what our friends need is what we're going to do. And if it means we need to learn some new stuff, we're going to do it. You know, that is a very, um, noble and respectable way of going about development. Um, you know, I, you know, you say you didn't want to make it sound too fruity or whatever, but, <laughs> but I, I, I get it. Um, you know, working with, with people and you come to a, a common understanding of, Hey man, I've got this creative vibe and you've got this creative vibe and there's something we can create together in some capacity. Let's make this happen. That makes things so much easier just in terms of your day-to-day and getting up and doing it, right? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, that said, you know, just the freedom alone, right? Just this, uh, the kind of the, 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 the horns of the rush of having agency and the punishment of their, the buck ends with you, you have no choice. Uh, that combination is, is, is a good, is a good buzz. It, it can wear you down and it's certainly worn me down many, many times over the last eight years, but, um, I don't think I'd trade it for anything either. Right. Well, you guys have been a relatively small studio the entire time, right? Yeah. I think we capped out once we were up to like 25 people, but usually we're somewhere between, uh, eight and 12. Okay. So, um, what kind of, what kind of difficulties does that bring just and keep maintaining that small group? Uh, I know you, I suspect you run many hats, but. Oh, for sure. And so does everyone actually. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's a really important part of our process to train everybody to at least be competent at everything. I mean, maybe minus some of the more serious software engineering. Um, but in terms of like, um, you are a representative of hyperkinetic, you need to be prepared to speak on our behalf. Uh, and not only that, we trust you with representing us, um, that this idea that we are all, we, we all as people kind of compose the identity of the company. And that what that means in particular is that between me and Rich, we are not the identity. It's me, Rich, and everyone um, on the teams as well. And that was kind of, you know, we've, we've done a lot of philosophical conversations along the way to kind of, kind of find our, our comfort in standing in that position. Okay. So, okay. Um, speak of the philosophy then, what is the philosophy then behind and maybe a little bit on the name of hyperkinetic. So it's funny, hyperkinetic is actually an older name um, before I joined up at the company. Uh, so I don't know what the, I can't speak to the nuance of the initial choice. And my favorite joke to say is that we're called hyperkinetic studios, but we're actually slow and careful. Um, but uh, in terms of the philosophy, I think a lot of it has to do with 
agency and individual independent uh, operating and trust. Uh, you know, even if you're coming on to test one of the games that we're working on, that there's more to it than that. And on our end, we're trying to offer more than just payment for the accomplishment of a task, uh, that there's this, we're all in it together to accomplish the the larger goals. And, you know, I, you know, I want to say it's like, it's up to you to take it, take, take the, take power responsibility and, and make results happen. But I, I know that that's what big companies say to us to get us to try harder, um, you know, with, without some of the, uh, esoteric, uh, backing. Right. Right. Um, that, that, that sounds about right. Um, and it, that actually sounds like what a lot of companies kind of aspire to, but I don't think they live it as much as I think you guys are. Um, so congratulations for making it happen and uh, the continued success of Hyperkinetic. Yeah, and it's we've got our ups and downs. You know, I don't think anyone would describe the company as wildly successful, but we've been alive for a good long time, and uh, I think we're pretty proud of that. Yeah. Oh, real quick, do you, uh, when you were at Treyarch, did you ever run into Greg Simpkins? Yeah, Crayola is gotten to be quite the fine artist, huh? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know if you know, I, I used to run the fine art circuit for a while, um, doing, doing gallery shows and trying to figure out my personal creativity. And uh, I'd known about um, Crayola, but I hadn't kept in touch with him. So between him, NC Winters, and a couple other fine artists, I ended up running into him at the Mary uh, Konofsky Gallery at one of his shows. And that that side of things, I was like, oh, wow, and you're still doing the, well, at the time, he was still doing the tray art thing. I was like, wow, this is, and it, this gave me a lot of permission, basically, to really be artsy while I was doing the video nice. development thing. Um. <laughs> And that led me into a lot of different creative realms because once I started discussing art, not like it was a secret, but I just started discussing art openly at work. Like, you know, we look back at what, you know, uh, Surratt did, or if we look back at what, you know, how um, Picasso and, and, you know, Brock came together, it's their contrast. And I started talking about art in that sense. And it brought this whole new appreciation of game development games as creative uh to what i was doing i'd never really mentally married the two together um with what I'm, I'm i was looking at with some of your projects here like uh like hugh for example there's a oh, yeah artistic vibe to it that i really appreciate um so give us a little bit of what you think in terms of like games and the artistic side of things well, my starting point actually is that there's just no difference. Okay. Uh, if you take, well, okay, there's um, uh, an approach I have to describing game. One of the pieces of that approach is how many steps back do you have to take until this game becomes pretty much exactly the same as another game? And I mean, granted, that's not like a, that's not like a, like a, a, a literal um, uh, description, rather like I can take uh, let's say I take two steps back and Call of Duty and Battlefield become the same. Okay. You know, I take four steps back and Monster Train and um, 
uh, the, the really, really famous one, um, where, where you have the four characters, the card game, uh, uh, slay the spire, they become the same. And by that logic, right, that there's probably no two entertainment products in games, at least where you have to take more than 10 steps back and it become the same. But the reality is you could just keep taking steps back until literally everything we have to express becomes the same. It's just humans trying to be humans. And so by that logic, uh, well, not, not even by that logic, my position is that all of our expressions have the opportunity to be great art. And when they aren't, they're just not great art, but it's still very, it's, 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 it's not, I have, I feel like I have a strong argument to say that it's still of the same type as the great artistic expressions of our societies that even when I just like make a really, let's say I make a terribly inappropriate joke in a pack of parents or something. Um, that's just a really bad version of the pinnacle of, uh, of, of, uh, comedy expression of human beings. (laughs) And so when we're there, once, once you think those, once you think along those lines, there's, there's something to be found or discovered and something important to be found or discovered in almost any human expression. And then that, at that point, video games are just an art form. And in, in that vein of being an art form, they're trying to do the same things as every other art form, at least in this kind of commercial entertainment perspective. Right. Um, sorry, that, that, that's a, that's an okay shopping point for me. Okay. Well, what I, what I've always been troubled with, um, and I shouldn't say been troubled with, but, uh, I've wrestled with, I've had, um, arguments slash discussions about is getting into the, um, where, where there's a series of mechanics. And, you know, it's like, well, you run, you jump, and there's X, Y, and Z that's happening. And then at some point, you want to add a certain level of artistry to it. And it becomes, it becomes difficult. There's no clear path forward. And that's when I think the artistry and the creative, ex- the creative expression have to actually fight for making the game a little better, where you're separating yourself from just a series of mechanics with, you know, random graphics or random sounds thrown in. And some, somewhere in there, I think it's where we see the art coming out. Um, because I, I generally don't give games as a medium the automatic stamp of art. Um, I, I just think that leads to a, I don't know, um, it's just a weird discussion for me when, when people just assume that because it's on a console that it's art and I'm like, well, no, you've got people who are putting something into it. And then you've got people who are, you know, recreating, um, mechanics and putting random graphics from the internet on top. Well, you know, the only difference in the way I see the games that you may not call art is I just call them bad art. Okay. Right. It's like if something unrefined and misaligned against its own messages comes out, you're like, oh, you know, it's uh, hopefully I can see where you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. And then I can go like at least there that and then I can measure you against how well you got there. And sometimes you do such a bad jar- job with your art that nobody can understand where you're trying to go with it. <laughs> right. Right. But in, in a lot of ways, I, I boil it down to a, a sort of communication of sorts and that the two pieces of it, right, are do you understand what I'm trying to say? And do, 
and how much do you like or understand or resonate with the way I said it? And the way I said it is where all the magic happens and the what's being said, you know, there are many, many messages out there that I disagree with quite seriously. Right. And, um, at the same time, uh, even if it's something I find, you know, in these days, like sort of abhorrent perspectives, uh, the delivery can be judged according to the degree to which it matches its intent, as well as kind of the, have I, have I like cooked it into a tasty enough package that you're happy to eat it sort of, um, yes, and when those things are all on the good side of things, and then, you know, then we add on top of that, like a good message that's that's moving towards the pinnacle of human expression. And so even terrible versions of that, uh, I just described as art. And I'm not disagreeing with you because uh, it's also okay to say anything below this line should not count. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and everything below that line, almost no matter where you put that line, yeah. there's a lot of stuff below that line. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you did say intention because I usually find it hard to uh, start talking about art without bringing in the intention and the expressive aspects of it. So, yeah. um, yeah, I definitely don't want to get into a, what is art discussion because <laughs> that's just, that's just an interesting line there. Mm -hmm. By the way, you were saying like, um, uh, there are people out there who don't realize they're saying anything mm -hmm. and they're basically just like kind of yelling. They're just kind of putting themselves out there and waiting for the audience to select them. And so it means like some of those people don't have intent, right? Other right. than see me, see me, see me. Um, and for us as the observer, it can still be art because we can pick apart what they, their message and, and figure out well, how it resonates with us. Yeah. Uh, even though I don't like that, by the way, I don't, I, I don't like that. I think I'm, I think we're on the same page. I don't like that. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, I, there was an article in Kotaku a while back that was discussing games as more of a sport than an art. And that got me thinking, and I was like, no, it's not incorrect. Um, definitely interesting take on it. So it's a, I'm just glad that we're in this new medium and we're, we're being, we're able to put something out in the world that really, uh, changes people's minds and, um, moves things forward. So now, um, I did want to jump to um, what you've got cooking currently, and that is this thing called Epic Tavern. I didn't know what to expect exactly when I looked this up, but it struck me as odd. So I'm just going to let you explain what is Epic Tavern really quickly. It is odd, and we didn't recognize how odd it was at first, but it is, um, first of all, like over, it's been in early access for like three and a half years, shoot, maybe four and a half years. Um, and it is ultimately a game systems, game design, exploration of disassembling storytelling. And we were, that's not on the back of the box, is it? It isn't, and it should be. Um, <laughs> we didn't realize kind of how big a space we were jumping into. Uh, we thought we could just take kind of like our own experience with whatever storytelling things we've done in our work in the past, and just try to turn it into logic. Um, and so it's like, let's just take what we've done, break it into pieces, have the machine take variables and criteria and move from one piece of it to another. Um, but that process is basically spilled into this 
you know, at least fairly committed effort at learning about storytelling and what its pieces are and ha- and why why it's kind of the everything to entertainment um, and maybe the everything to just the way people experience information. Storytelling, uh, you mean? I want to clarify. We're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Storytelling, mm-hmm. and that. I think, I think my new description of storytelling is that it's just information configured in a way that people can absorb, retain, or understand. Um, and now, now that's not a useful definition. So you kind of have to build some structure on top of that and get some of our more conventional definitions. But so we have this game, you run a tavern in a fantasy world and the people that come to the tavern to order drinks and buy food, they are, they don't know it, but I mean, they're NPCs, but they don't know it, but they're they might be the great heroes of this fantasy world. And there's a story that we put into place, a long arc um, that is going to resolve, that we establish at the beginning of the game, but how it plays out and who the kind of main characters are of that story are determined by the side effects of your choices. And there's some very writing heavy. Uh, there's some mild kind of like a business sim aspects in terms of the way you run the tavern. But a lot of the real important parts of it happen where we through this like text encounter system uh kind of emulate tabletop or are you going to you there i see like my screen change somehow all right so interesting so i can still hear you you but your image is frozen Oh yeah, I think um, I think I must have had an internet spike because I also saw my video kind of like um, uh, look at a small chunk of my uh, computer screen behind me. I mean, in front of me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we still got audio. Uh, we can keep going here. I'm sure I'll come back in just a second. Yeah. Um, okay. Shoot. Uh, so um, to continue about Epic Tavern, you know, it's a game where we're trying to kind of trigger the imagination of our players in the context of their own experiences with fantasy, literature, video games, uh, tabletop RPGs, and allow the player to feel like they can drop into this world and just start dropping stones into the river and start changing things. And that the way it plays out feels as much as possible like their own story. Um, And kind of like our initial analysis or initial pitch for the idea is kind of player authored experience very much in the vein of, um, you know, there's these really complicated systems oriented games. You could probably call like the, the, the kind of the easiest of them, a game like maybe Sid five, six or four. Um, and that the kind of the extremity are games like crusader Kings, where it's this impossible to play at first game that has all this complicated systems interaction and if you put enough time into them you feel the thing that becomes the new product once you've kind of mastered the the mechanics of the game is that all this emergent stuff is happening and it's interesting and it's your fault uh and we just wanted to take that nugget of experience and just move it right to the front of the experience i really like that um, as you know, as well, as you may know, I've worked at Rockstar Games and one of the big contentions over there was the amount of pre-planned and the amount of emergent behavior that we should allow. And that was just always a constant kind of back and forth pull. 
So with what you're doing with this uh, Epic Tavern, how how do players influence the the branching um, of their, their own story? So, I mean, I think you can imagine like a kind of like a pyramid of influences that the uh, the player has over the way this, this story unfolds. And the kind of the first most significant influence they have is simply who they choose to focus on, who they choose to bring onto their roster, who they interact with more. Um, and what will happen is those characters will go on these quests that are kind of rigged up to feel like bits and pieces of various maybe Dungeons and Dragons modules or bits of stories that we've experienced uh, through various forms of entertainment. And then as that starts to continue, that character starts to build a history. And we have a lot of logic in the game to kind of to kind of add, in a weird way, imagine if we're like adding backstory to these characters after the fact. This is the main, this is main character A. We okay. didn't know who main character A was going to be until you started using these characters. And as you start to show an interest or, or a focus on a particular character, it makes, a, it makes that character eligible to maybe take on uh, a more important role as we get towards the end of the story. And we're just running that sort of process across all of our content. And, um, our hope is, and I think we've only been maybe like, we've only been moderate successful is that at the end of the first major story arc, that you feel like you were there to see the heroes at the end of the story. You were there for their backstory. Yeah. You were, and, and that you got to get, you got to know them and you helped kind of shape the path that they took. Because of course, in very conventional RPG style, when they gain levels, you get to kind of increase their skills. And, you know, I mean, since it's a game, you have to kind of, there's a lot more sort of systemic meat on the bone that revolves around character capabilities and whether they overcome or fail to overcome obstacles kind of is one of the kind of key sort of branching events you have about how things play out. That's okay. I like that. And how, how many characters are we talking about? I mean, so you've got this tavern and uh, characters frequent the tavern and you can kind of, um, I guess, recruit them. I don't know if that's your word for it. Recruit them as they're in the tavern. Um, how many of these yeah. characters are we talking about? So the game, I mean, it's important that the game actually offers what appears to be as close to an unlimited number of characters as possible. Okay. Because, uh, well, let me finish that, that thought, is that we have about... 50 or so characters that have been completely custom built. So everything about them was kind of like defined by us. Um, but there's a huge chunk of the characters you're interacting with are procedurally generated. And it's not entirely procedurally generated, like their class and some of their starting skills and maybe some of their starting equipment is kind of randomized. Um, but every character or well, for every character that we have three custom backstories uh for every character class we have three custom backstories so we have 32 classes i think and so we have a oh no we have 108 custom backstories that get assigned to characters get procedurally generated and so we have those 108 characters and about 48 custom characters so we have two 160 ish characters um and the, the reason though, for having so many characters that could, that could be, is that we need to counteract the effects of our game industry where failure and death and, uh, catastrophic events for some these characters is something that you need to be able to tolerate. 
you can't actually have a great story if there isn't obstacles to overcome. And some of those obstacles demand failure. In fact, once the moment that it kind of our thesis is the moment the player is willing to accommodate failure and almost see it as kind of the, uh, you know, there's like that idea of a Japanese ceramic where they put gold on the cracks because they're celebrating the damage that has been survived. Um, that's, that it's obviously true about the stories that we, that we love, uh, something terrible happens and they overcome the obstacle. So we need to have failures in the course of our, of the way our story unfolds. And that might mean that sometimes you got to lose the character, right? The character has to die, go down. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And that, and I think that kind of gets it across. Oh, thanks. That's awesome. Um, I was definitely about to ask for talking about storytelling and, um, we were, the reason we were talking about Spider-Man much earlier is because we were talking about characters and stakes and if they're, if they're going back in time and resetting timelines and things like that, do you start to lose a bit of the stakes and everything? So now I'm discussing with you and you bring up storytelling and there has to be stakes involved for the characters. Um, is basically what I think I'm hearing you say that you could definitely lose a character or something can go wrong and you can fail in, in many ways that raises the stakes for when you're playing. And I think that's a very important aspect of this experience that, that are, that a lot of people might want to key into. So I'm glad you said that. hundred percent. Well, and my hope is with Disney actually, is that they're like kind of dangling the fruit of being able to erase the errors of the past. But what they're going to do is plunge us into ever more trouble as a result of accepting that offer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be weird. I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that Marvel at Disney, they're taking the, uh, plunge to bring people into the world of weirdness and on a mass scale, because I know this is, this is stuff that I'm used to talking about, you know, Hey, well, time travel and melting the timeline. And there's a variant over here, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. But when I start talking to, um, you know, regular moviegoers and people who, you know, who only know the MCU characters from the movies, I'm thinking, Whoa, this is, this is pretty bold for them, but so far it seems to be working. So, uh, I mean, I'm kind I'm kind of peeing my pants because they are definitely walking into some high difficulty space, right? There's nothing easier to mess up than time travel and multiple dimensions. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing you've watched Loki? Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. I keep up with all of it. You, we have to. We don't have a choice. This is our livelihood, right? Yeah. We don't understand the today of entertainment. We just don't care. <laughs> yeah. And um, one thing that I'm... I'm I'm listening to you talk about uh, the storytelling in Epic Tavern and how you're putting together all these different characters. It's it's amazing, I think, where we where we are in storytelling that you've got situations where people are so connected with the way they consume media and the way they go through these entertainment products. It's like the idea of I remember strategy guides sharing strategy guides was kind of a you know, the early, early way we're discussing, well, hey, in the strategy guide, it said this, this, and this, and we're talking about it with our friends and passing around a guide. Now it's to the point where everybody is discussing everything about their favorite properties online. 
and in discussion rooms and on discords, as you mentioned. So the entire way of experiencing story is now communal. Yeah. And, and I think that's when really go ahead. Think about this crazy way to process information that we take, like, let's say, you know, a million people and we show them something really complicated. Mm -hmm. And now we're almost certain to have a million slightly different interpretations, right? And then they all share it with each other. And then that spits out, you know, frankly, probably like a billion additional interpretations, at least space for a billion interpretations to exist. And then the next thing happens and we do it all over again, except that we multiply all those numbers again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally phenomenal. Um, I'm definitely here for all of it. And I am looking forward to seeing, uh, what, what you guys have done with every tavern. Um, as I said, it caught me off guard, kind of, kind of interesting concept. Um, I'll definitely have to take down a, a, a brew or, or get my little drink on while, while I'm at it. By the way, I found this, um, for one of my previous podcasts, I found the Imperial Falker Imperial star. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a solid IPA stone, but stone is the classic, right? Stone is the yeah. classic San Diego brewery. Yeah. Kind of helped usher in the, uh, the overwhelming preponderance of IPAs in California. Oh, totally. I met, um, I met Will Wheaton over at stone Ooh. brewery and nice. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was an event. We went down. Will Wheaton was there. It was happening around the con time. And I was telling people con the con era time of summer is around my, that's like my Christmas. Right. So yeah. I was just having fun with a bunch of people into meeting those guys. Um, it was a crazy time. I got a picture somewhere I got to dig up, but that's excellent. But yeah, it's, uh, that, um, that whole thing of getting together with, uh, good friends, um, good food, good drink. It, it just totally became a thing. So, um, Okay, you still here? All right. But yeah, the, uh, the having good friends, having good drink, it totally became a thing around uh, con time. And uh, I, I definitely saw from your page that you're a, you're a fan of the good, um, I don't know if I'm, can I call you a foodie? Oh, yeah, totally, totally, totally. All right. So um, yeah, food and drink, um, so glad to have it and you know, with this whole uh, Epic Tavern thing, I was like, why is it, you know, drinking and beer and a bar thing? How is that even a part of this whole vibe? But now I'm talking to you, it definitely connects. Well, and, and there's, but there's a separate thread which explains it fully, but what you're saying is totally true as well. But the separate thread that explains it fully is that something about a pack of level one uh, characters meeting at a tavern causing trouble and starting their, their epic quest that'll lead them to wherever is such an almost, almost annoyingly pervasive trope that we couldn't help, but, uh, pursue it. <laughs> you know what? That sounds like a lot of E3 adventures also. Um, totally. We're, we're, yeah, there was a time we started to talk about hyperkinetic fundamentally as uh, a, a random group of adventurers that got to meet, they got to know each other over Greeks, decided to get into a group and then go out and change the world. But that's, that's, that's why we started a company. That's amazing. That, that is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I even saw, uh, I, I ran through your Twitter really quickly and saw that you did a PAX discussion about bars and, um, 
Oh my. yeah. Gain development. What was that about? That was a great conversation. Great conversation. It, I mean, fairly straightforward, funny because it's about bars and our favorite alcohols and stuff, which by the way, this is a hazy IPA from Monkish Brewery called Foggier Window. Absolutely. It's greatness. I, I drink too much beer now though. I can tell and I get excited when I see the names of particular hops on an IPA. Oh, wow. And, and Nelson, Nelson, especially combined with Galaxy is one of my favorites, but that said, um, no, I mean, you know, for us, it was obvious. We make a game about a bar. Um, uh, you know, I think, uh, we, in the past, we've been sort of responsible for some big parties like a GDC. Um, and I mean, I'm not trying to glorify alcohol. It's more just a, more of like a, a realistic description that we spend a lot of time with each other at bars and, and there's a certain amount of drinking that happens to happen. And it turns out game developers or artists in general like to push limits and our line of work is stressful enough that maybe we self-medicate more than is average. And so I combine all that together with the fact that we had to do research on, on bars to kind of get our game spirit away. True. Um, but that PAX panel was just a, it was actually just a great casual conversation about, it's interesting. This is where it gets kind of um, esoteric and philosophical that having a bar in an interactive experience is saying it's, it's, it's sort of the opposite, but the same type of thing as a headquarters, a headquarters or a central office is serious. It's all business. And that's where we're going to figure out what we do. But it sort of avoids or abandons this idea that so much of what we do and so much of kind of like our uh, uh, assignment of objective for ourselves happens casually, it happens emotionally, right? And happens via our relationships. And so a bar in so many ways, especially in video games, when it's done right, becomes the headquarters, like the headquarters, but painted with humanity. No, that's a, uh, that's amazingly appropriate. I love it. <laughs> and I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a little insider baseball, I guess, on how Rockstar did, did things. I don't know how, how much they still do this now, but we were at Rockstar San Diego. And at one point, you know, I was uh, discussing with one of the Rockstar heads it was like, well, you know, you've got to get this certain vibe down with your people and you guys are all friends, but you don't have that, you don't have that good overlap of creative and, um, social together yet. All right. What do you mean? It's like, well, you're social. Yes. And you're creative and all that and developers, but there's a bit of a, too much of a bit of, you know, demarcation between them. So what they started doing is going around, figuring out what everybody was into. They're like, hey, what are you into? Nice. Like, oh, that's amazing. And this is just casual. So we're at work and like Dan Hauser comes over and starts talking like, how's it going? And I'm like, uh, okay, should I keep working or, you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> what's he doing? He's just kind of sitting in our cubicle, right? So after a while, you know, they all walk around, they're talking to us. And this is them bringing us kind of into the rock star way of doing things. So you know they start talking and they start you know asking questions hey what are you into I'm into horseback riding you're like really that guy's into horseback riding okay and it's, it just got really casual and we started learning things about each other and we started going to bar outings at one point and this is where it clicked for me we're at a bar and the rockstar san diego guys are kind of playing it straight 
but we had some guys, we had some guys from, from Leeds, one of the other studios. And those guys, uh, those guys got it. They understood what it was about. They started, you know, getting these beers, chugging them, started, you know, they, uh, they like tipped the waitresses and the wait staff and got a bunch of tables together and started playing dice games. And we're like, what is going on? You know, this is totally going against everything we thought should happen that in any of these creative outings. And at some point we start talking about games. We start talking about games and, um, uh, you know, playing, uh, you know, playing regular games and making game developing all at once. And it just got into this very open discussion. We're calling each other out. We're breaking down barriers and we're having just this great time of everybody calling each other out on their shit. And yes, it looks like we lost him. Um, let's see if he jumps back in here. I'll finish up with this, uh, this thing about Rockstar because it's actually pretty fun. But if we're, we're in a, we're in a game development situation slash bar situation, we're talking about the game and when, when someone says, you know, Hey, that's complete bullshit. And all of a sudden the walls start to drop and you can tell people about something without anybody losing their feelings, anybody getting overly upset. And it just starts to become this more open, casual conversation. Here we go. All right. Let's see if uh, we can wrap this up nice and cleanly here. Oh my God. Well, you know what? It was perfect. Uh, I, my phone shut down. Uh, I plugged it in and got right back in by the time you finish your sentence. I missed a bit of it. Okay. Um, but, but I did catch this, the, the essence, I think that matters so much, which is we're at the bar, right? And the, we use the, the, the social experience and we can say the alcohol and its effects as well, but it, it really is that kind of like relaxing our boundaries and socializing with each other and being open to kind of each other's interactions. And, and part of it, part of that is led by a little bit of crazy, right? A little bit of yeah. like us showing off to each other what what we're comfortable with and and there's a vulnerability to being crazy in front of others even if sometimes it's hey follow me um and so many of these kind of like there's it is highly accommodating of uh sort of like creative thoughts right it loosens up our resistances to all the stuff we kind of close ourselves off to that's a great way of putting it loosening up our resistance because the fact that now the people I've worked with at Rockstar, I'm able to send them an email or walk up to them and say, um, hey, that's nonsense. I don't know why you're doing that. And people around me will be very concerned, like, oh, my God, why did you say that? And it's like, no, 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 trust me. We, this, is, this is how we go about it. Um, if I'm doing something bad, they'll let me know. Or if they're not feeling it, even if it's debatable or not debatable or whatever, the, the reduction of friction in getting to a better product in ourselves and in the game, in our environment, just makes things so much easier. Yeah, no, and I feel like um, the lessons learned, you know, strange enough from hanging out in bars is you've got to explore 
being real open and real vulnerable. I think that, um, well, okay, let me, let me divide this into the spectrum that I think that matters, right? On one end of the spectrum, they don't need to be more open. They need to be protected. They need to be sheltered and we need to make extra effort to accommodate them. But on the other end of the spectrum, which I really mostly believe that that's where I roughly am, is I need to not be as resistant. I need to be more open-minded. I need to take more steps towards. And every time I've done that, especially in this context of socializing and um, kind of like, you know, the breaking bread or the sharing Greeks concept, which it's, mm-hmm. itself is more of a concept than a practice, um, it's produced great social results. Even if, even if you don't agree, it's still a better position to kind of engage from. Okay. So what is, I think people can visualize the, um, where it works out, where it's like, hey, we can just be open with each other. But yeah. give us a little on what you may have been talking about with needing to protect certain um, aspects. So this is really just me trying to get a better understanding of my place in the world and where I stand. So I think I spent a lot of my youth basically painting the rest of the world with the way I think. And if I'm okay, you know, jumping into a pit of snakes and laughing it off, that doesn't mean you are. Right, right. And then, so when I go, why aren't you okay with this? Because this is what's good that I'm kind of promoting the wrong message, right? And that, and, it, and, it, and that my message might make sense for people that are more like me and that I'm very, especially, I guess, as I get older um, and have better perspective on our world, but there's, there's the other end of the spectrum or a different part of the spectrum that's not the right call for, that's not the right recommendation for. And frankly, it's kind of a insensitive message to be kind of promoting to certain, to, to the other end of my, of the spectrum that I'm on. Right. And so it's just kind of like, it's a piece of my part in trying to navigate the kind of craziness of, of the last four or so five years where we've, we can't get out of the argument. And we keep trying to say, you got to be like me and that I'm right. And, um, my answer to that, right. Is to appreciate a spectrum of sorts and realize that where I'm at for people that are at that point in the spectrum, the things that I found are mostly almost always very, uh, it's like a, it's like a, it's, it's a good match, but that there's all the people that are on that spectrum in different places for which it gets progressively a worse match and eventually kind of the opposite of a good match. Right, right. So yeah, definitely making a, and um, uh, is safe space the right word for? Uh, sort of, I mean, it, it's close enough, I think. Yeah, yeah I wonder about that because I don't always want to mean, um, yeah, it, that comes with connotations, but you know, making a, uh, a situation definitely where we can hit both sides of the spectrum where, you know, we make sure that we're grounded and that we're not, uh, you know, I usually think of it as a, as, um, a drum head. So, you know, when you tighten the different, different sides of the drum, everybody's pulling just a little tighter on their end. But if one side pulls too tight, you risk tearing, you would risk warping on the other end. So there's always this kind of back and forth and, I think, I think at some point 
I started trying to make sure that we stopped what the, the caravan was doing and went and looked at the other, other extremes and said, well, hey, where do we need to pull back or where do you guys need support and where, where are we missing out on something? And there was always, always great input. Like, well, you guys clearly yeah. are missing out on ice, um, X, Y, and Z. And during table tennis, we got a lot of that from the, the animators and the UI guys, which we didn't, we kind of didn't expect, you know, um, and not the, not the gameplay animators to so those guys got, got all the love, but like the, the animators for the crowds and the animators for the, for the emotes and reactions were like, why, why, why do these guys have so much input? We're not making, you know, the game, <laughs> but you know, when the game is barely on in one direction, all of a sudden the, you got UI guys are like, listen, we're trying to sync this thing up with the sound. And we think that, oh yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. We really, you know, and it pulled back the other way. So yeah, total, total growth and evolution in, um, in understanding how that creative thing can happen definitely in a more uh, comprehensive and more collaborative, a proper collaborative environment. Um, it totally, definitely, totally, definitely makes sense for where we are right now with this interconnectivity and hyper information, um, landscape we're in. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if, if we had, if we had to draw one good thing from all the arguing that everybody's doing, it's that, oh shit, you totally think differently from me. Okay. Let me try to start figuring that out a little bit better. I mean, in the end, I can't promise that I'll agree with you, but I'm I'm, I'm thinking about it a little bit now. <laughs> yes, there's a uh, there's a book by Microsoft, um, Microsoft Press, the the dynamics of software development. It's a it's a classic book, and one part in there that always stuck with me is don't flip the bozo bit, where <laughs> where you're dealing with somebody, and at some point you just decide that person's a bozo. And no matter what they do, no matter what check-in they have, no matter what proposal they make, they're just a bozo. And it didn't make, it made sense to me, but it made so much more sense to me ever since like the, uh, the great Star Wars fan base wars of a couple of nice. years. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a Star Wars group on Facebook and we're always, man, the group was strained at that moment. And I'm like, how are they thinking? How are they thinking like this? Why would they believe this was a good character move or whatever? And it got really crazy. Um, but yes, at the end of it, we're actually better friends. And it's like, you know what? There are people coming at it from different angles. Let's make something overall better and understand all the different sides. Yeah. And you know, and it's interesting. It's like it, um, obviously the, the the analogy of blind people trying to figure out what the elephant is about is a good one in this kind of situation. Um, but I think that sometimes we get so, we still get caught up in our own perspective. We're like, well, then I should understand that that's a tail and that's a, that's a trunk. My favorite thing to say these days is I don't have any idea, but what you just said is the best I got right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm actually writing up um, a series of... Uh, you know, ways to get by on social media. It's called, um, don't be, uh, don't argue over dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is actually like the outline of it. I'm just awesome putting it together. So like I said, just the other day to my kids, it's like, I used to really like arguing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, very cool, man. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that we haven't covered today? Because we, w- we went over a good little bit. And I think uh, we got a good bit of creativity from you. Uh, was there anything that we might have glossed over or missed that you wanted to jump on? You know, um, not necessarily. Uh, although having the conversation was a lot of fun. And so maybe I hope we can do this again someday. And um, if I had any kind of, I don't know, like parting words, uh, it's, it's um, start practicing having multiple scenarios about how things are in your head. Mm. Not just, and then not just so that like you can accept others or not just so that you can try to take something that you disagree with and hold on to it. It's, it's, it's purely mathematical. Let's take two positions. They're in different places. And imagine what it's like to look at a different point from each of them. It's called triangulation. And it turns out it's just a great way to identify where something is. And so having multiple perspectives, and I know that might be hard if you were kind of like bombarded socially to like stick to your guns and hold your line or whatever. But from a practical standpoint, I get a lot of good answers out of it. And, and I, um, honestly, I think it's helped my blood pressure quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely takes a lot of humility, um, takes a lot of calming down inside, uh, turning off those, you know, lizard brain reactions that you have to a lot of things that you see, um, definitely a mark of, uh, development maturity there. Awesome. Well, I mean, but see, the thing for me is that I'll profit more if I do a better job. And it turns out that we need to serve our audience and it turns out that they're a bunch of different people. Yep. And so if you can't see it their way, then you can't take their money. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, very cool, my man. Um, Tomo, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure. Uh, your words of wisdom are great. Um, I'm glad people got the chance to hear your tale. And definitely thank you for jumping on in such short notice. I, I, that was fun. I like jumping in and doing things. So I'm glad uh, you could make it happen on Instagram Live here. I am going to be publishing off this off to, to YouTube and my regular podcast channel. So I'll send out the links when those are ready. Awesome. It was a pleasure having this conversation and um, I'll talk to you again sometime. All righty. Take care. Later, man. Yep. Now I just have to figure out how to disconnect from this. Yeah, it's kind of weird. There's a little button at the bottom and you got to, there you go. All right. So thank you everybody who joined in. This is uh this has been an excellent Excellent discussion here with uh, Tomo Moriwaka, Moriwaki, sorry. Uh, It's been a long day for me. I'm usually not here in the middle of the day doing these, but it's always good to have people show up and talk. So I'm going to be doing these more often, as I said, maybe once a week, at least once a week. I want to have a discussion with somebody. And this is along with my discussions with Theo that I do later on on Wednesdays for show versus business. And it'll be kind of a supplement to the normal discussions I regularly have on here. So once again, you can find me on YouTube just by searching Mr. Benja's ADD experience, and you can search for Mr. Benja's ADD experience on all your favorite podcast players as well. So that's Apple podcast, Amazon podcast, Pandora, if anyone's still using that Podbean, Spotify, everyone seems to like Spotify for podcasts now. So check us out there too. Either way, uh, appreciate it. Make sure you like, share and all that other business. I want to make sure I screenshot some things here. Definitely thank everybody who joined in. If I didn't get, get you shouted out, fun, happy days and everybody else, um, drop by later, 
drop me a comment. Let me know if there's anybody else also that I should be talking with. Make sure you send them my way or send me their information and we'll try to get them in a discussion. If there's something you want to ask them that's a little too crazy for you to ask them or you want me to do it, I'll be that guy. Well, thanks again for this one. Uh, I will see you soon. Peace. Hey, thanks for joining me on this podcast. You all make everything I do possible and I really do appreciate it. So even if you've got me on social, please visit mrbenja.com and see what's happening and how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, I'll see you next time. Peace.